Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 183 for February 12th, 2020. I'm your host, Stephen Wagner, filling in for Chris Webster, who couldn't be here today. On today's show, we revisit the age-old question of collecting artifacts. So welcome to the show. Joining me today is Bill in California. Hello. Heather, also in California. Hello. And Doug, way over in Scotland. Hey, everyone. So for today's episode, we uh, received an email Um that's great. Please uh, keep sending us emails. We love to get we love to get comments and questions and uh, things that uh, kind of drive our conversation. Um, this email is derived from a discussion on Facebook, and uh, I'm going to read a bit of it, and uh, we'll start from there. So, recently on on the Archeo Field Text Facebook page, a post from the Outdoor Channel was shared where someone posted a photo of a point they found while working in the field. The ensuing comments on the original post quickly turned into people sharing their personal artifact collections. I decided to leave a comment saying that if you find an artifact, you should record where you found it, take a picture, and contact the local archaeologist. Not surprisingly, people left some various comments on my original post. My question for you guys is, how do you handle situations like this? Would you comment or just leave it? I'm going to toss this over to Heather. She went and kind of took a look at the original posts on Facebook. So if you want to lay the groundwork here, uh, we can go off that. So I just, I looked it up. It's uh, Outdoor Channel, uh, which is on the Dish Network. And the post actually says, and it's a picture of what I would assume is a host. Uh, I don't watch that channel, but uh, she looks like she's a host. She's kind of blurred in the background. You can see on the on the foreground a picture of a of a nice arrowhead that she's holding up, holding in her hand. And it says, "Do you look for artif- uh, arrowheads when you're out in the field? This is a great find." And then, in, and then the next comment is my last find of 2019 exclamation mark a flawless early to middle archaic point which would be approximately six thousand to nine thousand years old and then she has a bunch of ats and whatever for Instagram and the hashtag is what gets you outdoors 
And this was posted on January 19th. And there were a few people right away that jumped on it and said, hey, guys, this isn't this is not OK. And I can't believe that Outdoor Channel is promoting, you know, collection of artifacts. And then you you get various remarks like, oh, boy, I bet you're you're fun at parties and, you know, back and forth banter and people saying you're being ridiculous and you know, have every right to collect. And then some people that, you know, were were commenting and trying to say that, you know, you can collect on some types of land, but you can't collect on others, which in some ways is, is correct. And then others that uh, used as reference the Carter Clause. Uh, uh, the Carter Clause is, was named after um, President Jimmy Carter, who enjoyed arrow, uh, collecting arrowheads on his time is something I guess he grew up doing. And the clause is an additional you know, an amendment to the original law saying that if you collect artifacts and you do whatever with a list of, of um, action, actions, um, that you are going to be fined a considerable amount of money, at least the point of amount of money that it takes to, to uh, bring the area that you affected back to its original and natural state. And it just goes through, you know, lots of legal language. And then the clause says, except for collecting arrowheads. Uh, Some people's argument on the Facebook post saying that that, yes, that does apply to the fining, but it doesn't mean that it's illegal. And then others are bringing up the, the difference between federal land and private land and then also even some people are, are talking about, you know, I went and looked at some other uh, background and um, some people are talking about, you know, the high watermark and during floods and erosion events that you can collect within waterways and that sort of thing. So that's basically, it's, it's quite a few posts. I would say probably about, you know, 75 to 100 posts or uh, comments and people just responding to each other's comments. Some are civil, some are not. And so I think her, I was trying to figure out, I think, I'm not sure she's asking, do we think this is correct, period? Or do we think as leaders in the field, would we comment on a post like this on Facebook or some other social media? Or would we just ignore it? Yeah, well, ignoring the uh, leaders in the field comment um <laughs> i i would go with the i i feel like she was asking whether you know what do we do when we see stuff like that on, on social media right and i don't know I, I feel like a lot of times i'm more of a kind of standoffish sort of um you know kind of let it go unless it's like you know hardcore blatantly illegal like I, I i don't know the context i'm not on facebook and i certainly didn't look at uh, the outdoor channel post you know, like, are, were they on a national park? Were they like in somebody's, you know, like a, a farmer's field that's privately owned? There, there are legality issues, right? Like, so if there's, if if it's not a blatantly illegal thing, even if it's unethical, I, I might not like immediately just jump in because that isn't necessarily going to help, right? Like. You know, showing up while somebody's doing something unethical and being like, you shouldn't be doing that. That's unethical. That's you're not necessarily going to get the reaction that you want where, you know, you want them to be like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really good question. Like how what is the best way to approach a situation like this? I do think, though, that posting 
I don't have a problem with them calling out or outdoor channel because these these people have you know they are perpetuating these these thoughts. Uh, they do have a responsibility because they do have a forum here that reaches a lot of people. And by just unfortunately, the nature of society nowadays, people figure if it's out there and they're putting it out there, they assume, oh, this must be okay. And so I do think that calling out personally, calling out you know something like Outdoor Channel is a good idea. Doing it carefully, pragmatically, in a way that people are actually going to listen to you, I do think it's a good idea. In fact, one example is just, I think it was a couple years ago, um, there was a show where they were actually had amateur, I forget the name of the guy, but he was he already had some shows on, I think it was History Channel, and he had some shows, and they added one more show to the History Channel where they're actually going out and being amateur archaeologists. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was yeah. a couple of years ago. And there was a big backlash. And because of that, they took it off yeah. the History Channel. Sure. Well, I, I believe well, it was, was it National Channel. Geographic. I think it was National Geographic. Thank you. Thank you. It was National Geographic. So, you know, I do think that people standing up when they do know what's right and wrong and saying that if you can make a difference, I do think that it is valuable. It's effective. Sure. Not if you're getting into some tit for tat argument. But. Yeah, yeah. But in the National Geographic event, it was kind of more of a dog pile, right? Like it wasn't just one person being like, you shouldn't be doing this. It, it was like, like the entire community. But it starts somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to start somewhere. Well, but right. is, is that place in the comments or is it in a more direct approach to that channel? You know, and like getting the community as a whole to address that channel, and and I'm just putting that out there. I I don't know what 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 the most effective way would be, but uh. well, I agree. But I think I think that it's it's twofold. So if you have a like National Geographic, um, if you just have professionals that are talking and being the naysayers, but they have a a large you know, group in the community that is interested in watching a show like that, they may ignore. They may ignore the professionals, and if they're making money and able to get enough viewers, they're they're not going to listen to it. But by having something and appealing to people's just ethical understanding, that you know, by posting something on Facebook and driving some kind of a movement, not just with archaeologists, professional archaeologists or avocational archaeologists, but just the public in general, it actually did sway. And so you had people that aren't even archaeologists that came on the bandwagon and that's how the whole thing got shut down. It wasn't just the professionals that were doing that. So I think, you know, again, if it's just a tit for tat kind of stupid, you know, like some social media where it's a tit for tat argument and it doesn't go anywhere, I agree with you. It's it's useless. But if it starts a movement that's effective, then I think it's a good idea. I've been reading these comments here and it's not, I know some of the people on here are actually archeologists, but it seems like a lot of other people are saying, you know, you're destroying someone's heritage or, um, you know, the outdoor network, outdoor channel is promoting people to actually loot sites. I mean, if you look at the photo, it kind of looks like she's walking across a plowed field or something and then picks up an arrowhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is something in her hand. So I don't know if she's, you know, digging up the site or what's going on or if that's just a walking stick or whatever. 
But it does look like she's in a plowed field and, you know, those kind of things are going to get turned up. And if you're on private property and you're not trespassing, you know, the way that the laws are, especially with something like an arrowhead and you pick it up, then, you know, that that's not against the law. I mean, the whole Carter Clause of ARPA is for projectile or arrowheads that are right on top of the ground, right? So, I mean, we can all go back and forth about whether that's a projectile point or an arrowhead or this or that or a lateral tip. But either which way, the way that it's set up, if if you're on private property, anything except for human remains or, you know, something absolutely remarkable that the state would actually want to claim, you know, like a mammoth or something like that, you know, you're kind of at your your own ethics to dig that. Now, whether you would actually dig up an archaeological site uh, on private land, that's really up to the individual. I know that there's whole organizations where you can rent a backhoe and you mm-hmm. can dig. And I there's some folks that I've met before and talked to that use a backhoe from a construction company that's on a site that had a garbage dump and they just regularly dig through there and they have these mechanical sifters and just for fun on their own property, they dig up, you know, 19th century bottles. And there's other people who like to go plunder their Mm -hmm. backyard or let other people dig up the privies. It's a complete tragedy in that we're losing, you know, archaeological stuff, archaeological sites, archaeological materials and stuff. But if, you know, someone wants to destroy their own land and they're not causing pollution that's going to seep off of their property and hurt other people, then, you know, that's kind of the American way. Really, the line is drawn by the uh, Outdoor Channel not putting that disclaimer first that says, you know, you shouldn't do this. For example, I've seen several Outdoor Channel shows on hunting and they always have a thing of be safe, you know, firearms, make sure that you're not, you know, doing anything dangerous with firearms. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some other channels, not the Outdoor Channel, you know, they like, for example, naked and afraid warning, this is dangerous as if people didn't know that going out into the woods with no clothes on and no food or water would be dangerous or whatever. There's a disclaimer, like watch out if you ever find yourself naked in the jungle with no food or water or any tools or any way to get out of this, this could be dangerous. Well, the same exact thing could happen here with this photograph or with outdoor channels actual, you know, statement because outdoor channels also towing a line right now between individuals who like to hunt and individuals who want to save animals and uh, landscapes and all kinds of other stuff. And in reality, we actually need hunters because we need people to help manage these animals, which unfortunately are living in an environment that is not like what they evolved to live in because of human beings, right? But there's a whole group of other people that want to keep spaces open and they don't necessarily want us to kill animals which then the government or whatever organization is going to have to manage those animals. So the outdoor channel specifically advocates for hunters and outdoorsmen and people who are out there enjoying the outdoors in the ways that they have on their show, which, you know, are, you know, hunting shows and other things like that, or picking up arrowheads. The the very least that they could do is have a disclaimer that says, this is illegal on federal land. Like, don't dig up archaeological sites. It's always illegal. If you're on private property and you have the owner's consent, it's illegal to dig up human remains. Like, don't do that. And then for every single one of these photos right here, instead of just going straight to what gets you outdoors, the subscript should be, this is illegal on federal land or don't do it. There's laws that protect you from picking these up at archaeological sites. Make sure you know your boundaries. Don't trespass. What gets you outdoors? Like that's all it had to do. Because if you look at the comments below in this thing, there's individuals who are archaeologists who have right have been way been like you. I'm reporting you for illegal activity, and you know what you're doing is wrong. And then it goes into the back and forth where there's many other people who are saying that's right. You're destroying heritage, or I can't believe you're 
you know, destroying these sites. And then other people saying, it's just a rock. I can do whatever I want. So I think the disclaimer is like the very least, but maybe having shows of archaeologists, you know, preserving sites and showing where people looted them, that might be a good idea. I don't know. Speaking of disclaimers, I should jump in and point out that even on private land, archaeological sites are uh, the property of the crown in, in Canada. So um, if, if you're uh, in Canada and listening to this, uh, that whole private land thing does not apply. Uh, the, the laws are, uh, I believe, uh, provincially determined. So you should check with your uh, provincial laws um, to see how it applies. It's the same thing with states. Too. Yeah. State laws vary. Are, are there states where uh, artifacts aren't uh, private property? Going back to something Bill had mentioned, bodies, actually not. It depends. That's a, usually a state, but also local ordinance. Um, so in some states, it is actually legal in some cases for people just to go out and dig up bodies. So it really is sort of a hodgepodge of local laws. So in terms of any sort of disclaimer, it really should just say, check out your local laws. This activity may not be legal everywhere or in any case. And yeah, like other countries, it's definitely not something you could do. So in the UK, it's it's complicated. In Scotland, everything everything you find except like loose change that's still in circulation um, you have to report, whereas in England and Wales, uh, it it has to be treasure, which has this definition of gold and precious metals and so many coins and yada yada. Um, but yeah, even like in certain countries, the laws will be very different. I think we should just do a generic check out your local laws because it it will be huge variations, and then. It's becoming more and more common, but cities are having local ordinances as well. So I know Albuquerque and then like St. Petersburg and uh, Florida has different local city laws dealing with archaeological and heritage resources. So it's, I don't know, it's a massive minefield. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break right here and go on to the next uh, segment. We'll pick up this thread of thought uh, when we come back. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. We're going to kick off this section, second segment with uh, Doug. Doug was going to run over some of the laws as they pertain to collecting arrowheads off the surface. Yeah, so it's just to mention everyone's been talking about this uh, supposed Carter loophole. Um, I say supposed because there's a story that Carter wanted this in the uh, law, but I've never actually seen any evidence of it. So I'm a bit um, hesitant to attribute to him. But there's a, basically in the United States, if, I think it was either in the 60s or 70s, parts of the Antiquities Act was declared unconstitutionally vague. And that was basically just to say it was not specific enough to protect archaeological resources. So the ARPA, which I believe stands for the Archaeological Resources Protection Act, um, and that came in at the end of the 70s, was created to protect archaeological resources on federal land and to allow federal organizations to prosecute people for essentially looting. And in one of the paragraphs, basically, it essentially says that while it's not great, the charges or the penalties will not apply to someone who's collecting arrowheads on the surface. And of course, everyone points to that, but it gets a bit more complicated than that. One is... Uh, you'll see a lot of collectors point to it, but at the same time, uh, you can't actually sell or purchase or move or basically hand over any of the artifacts. So that's not exempted. So if you pick up a, an arrowhead on federal land on the surface, uh, you can't sell it. You can't give it away to anyone. Uh, so a lot of collectors who may try to do that uh, try that loophole, which actually fail because it doesn't apply to the selling of it. The other thing we sort of touched on is there's a definition of what an arrowhead is and what a projectile point is. And the vast majority of what people are likely finding are not actually going to be arrowheads. You're going to have uh, spears, darts, um, all sorts of different things. You know, Clovis is not an arrowhead. Uh, Folsom are not arrowheads. There's a lot of stuff. So anything that's paleo is not considered an arrowhead. Uh, so you'd still get prosecuted for that. Yeah. Doug, that, that's not an um, archaeological definition, though. Like, how, how are those things defined in the, in the laws? If I, I remember correctly, it's, um, it's not defined in the laws, but basically you'd have to prove that it's considered an arrowhead. So... It, it'd be almost impossible for you to say, try to prove a Clovis point was an arrowhead when no one uh, considers it an arrowhead. Uh, but the real, I mean, that's again, uh, people have tried to argue this and have ended up getting prosecuted. Uh, so they were able to prove that actually, no, they weren't picking up an arrowhead. Yeah. They were picking up a paleo point. Um, and that is before bows and arrows existed and most of North America. So um, it was pretty cut and dry on that. I'm sure there are points where, you know, there's that those transition periods where you end up getting bows and arrows, and then like, is it a dart head? Is it, you know, is it a knife? It's, and, and people, 
it gets even more complicated because we've all seen it reused tools. You know, maybe it started out being a knife and then they've converted to an arrowhead or all sorts of different things. So it's, it's a bit, basically you're, you're really, um, unless you really know what you're looking at, um, you're really taking a lot of risk on, but this only applies. And this is the kicker that people really should understand is the exception only applies to ARPA. Whereas there are other laws that this would apply to. So basically what they can do and, and what people have been uh, charged with is theft of government property. So you could, you may not be charged under ARPA, but there's many other laws that they're able to charge you with. And so actually, ironically, you would want to be charged by ARPA. So the penalties for ARPA are a lot less than theft of government property. So even if you did this exception and you're, you argued it in court and said, ah, oh, yes, you know, it's, I found an arrowhead, I collected it, I didn't sell it, um, it's exempt under ARPA, the prosecutor would be like, sure, we're not going to charge you with ARPA. Uh, we'll charge you with uh, theft of government property. And that co- comes with um, up to 10 years as opposed to ARPA, which I think maxes out at like one year. So needless to say, anyone who's come up with this. Yeah, like, the, the penalties are pretty low. Carter. Yeah. I mean, you'd actually, you'd prefer, like if you're, if you're getting busted for anything, you would prefer to get charged with ARPA because it's, you know, in the grand scheme of crimes you could be charged with, it's uh, or statutes you could be charged under. Sorry, that's the correct way to say it. You would want ARPA, and so it's kind of like a, a you know, everyone argues these finer points of this so so called Carter um, exception, but it really is kind of pointless. You really, period. You can't collect any archaeological resources from federal land. It's just they will get you under some other uh, code or statute of the laws. So just, I know everyone always brings it up, but the message people should be getting is it's just illegal. It may not get you under ARPA, but they'll get you under something else. Absolutely. I think, I think um, those are all very good points. I think a lot of people don't understand the nuances of collecting and, you know, the damage that it can, can, it can um, result in. And, you know, I think, you know, a few, one of the biggest points is, is that the people that are actually walking and collecting arrowheads, um, the ones that are going to be more in danger of collecting and doing damage because they don't know the laws, they don't know what they're looking at, don't know the difference between what would be okay to pick up under ARPA as an arrowhead and what is a paleo point, you know, these like Clovis and Folsom and, and they, you know, they just don't know what they're looking at. And so that goes back to the point of, you know, having how dangerous sometimes these Facebook posts, especially by channels, um, you know, something, uh, entity is so far reaching that when they post something like this, people do believe that it's okay. And, you know, that's why I do think that, again, the back and forth, you know, nitpicking is one thing, but just, you know, making a comment on there so that people understand that this is not okay. I think it's a fair point if you feel so inclined to do so, but then it really should be followed up by actually contacting somebody like Outdoor Channel or any any other entity that posts something like this and really 
you know, explain to them the damage that they're doing. Because I think a lot, they just don't, people don't think these days. They don't think things through. They're just trying to post something that's going to get the biggest click, you know, the largest amount of clicks and the most amount of attention. And they just don't think things through. So I think, you know, generally people are good people. And if you, you know, you point it out to them and you give them the the law behind it, I, I do believe that, you know, they'll, they'll right the wrong. Yeah. And it, well, I mean, I guess it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about what's the goal of the outdoor channel, right? Is the goal of the outdoor channel to actually make sure that we have outdoors to go and enjoy, or is it to get more clicks? Because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if they showed us, you know, marginally, legally blasting deer because of some loophole or because somebody thought that it was okay to shoot a deer in that County and like all this other stuff, that, you know, the hammer would have dropped. And a lot of these people who are saying that it's just a rock probably would have been like, you endanger hunting for all of us. You need to stop doing this. Definitely don't do that, right? I mean, there's enough people who get really frustrated about certain kinds of hunting that are actually legal in other countries, right? And they mm-hmm. they come out and, and they start, you know, doxing individuals and giving their name and all this stuff because they did something that was legal in another country, right? So however we feel about the, you know, killing of animals, if Outdoor Channel had been caught guilty doing that kind of stuff, you know there would have been some kind of statement or they never would have put it on there or something like that. But, you know, just a simple arrowhead, everybody's just thinking, oh, well, that doesn't mean anything. Well, just like Doug and everyone on here is is showing, yeah, that actually does. It opens a whole Pandora's box so that the next time someone doesn't do something like take a photo of it and then tell us that there's, you know, an archaic uh, mound builder site in this property Instead, they just, you know, go ahead and pick up the arrowhead and bring it home. So, well, I mean, the way you're describing it, it kind of sounds like there's a top-down problem that, you know, like if you were doing something illegally in, uh, like from a hunting perspective or a fishing perspective, like you were catching fish be- before season started or something like that, you know, they, you know, the, the audience is, is kind of self-patrolling there. But because this isn't really their wheelhouse, right? Like they don't necessarily, they're not as... I maybe emotionally invested in the, you know, the, the whole collecting protection of uh, uh, artifacts, protection of sites uh, perspective that they are, you know, with the hunting, like, and, and they might be more on edge about like um, the, the hunting aspect, the fishing ha- aspect and, and the legality. And part of that might be um, that nobody's really coming down and, essentially putting the fear on like we're going to stop you know we're going to shut down this channel because you're you know doing something unethical or you know like which is also why they might not be presenting disclaimers about the legalities of collecting right right i mean i think that the 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 group that would have the an issue with this is so small compared to PETA, let's say, if we're just, you know, looking at it in a grander scale, you know, there there are things, there are aspects and, and ethical uh, arguments that are brought up all the time because PETA has made sure that they have a voice, so that, that they have a, a dog in the fight. And, and you know, they're, they're on top of people so much now um, that people, you know, people think twice before they say something or before they do something. And unfortunately, um, this kind of ethical behavior is only re- is relatable to a, such a small portion of the population that you know it's just not even considered. And um, 
Although there is an exception like that, the National Geographic show that really had a lot of backlash. And that's that's just, again, another argument for standing up for, you know, what's right and wrong when you have that knowledge. A lot of people that just don't, they don't know. I mean, we run into it all the time in our practice when we're out there. Uh, you have somebody that comes up and they're excited. And obviously they wouldn't, you know, come over and excitedly tell you what they have found on that very site if they thought it was illegal or wrong. Um, they're just excited. So, you know, it's just, it's ignorance on their part and on a large part of the public. So it is, if you have that knowledge, I think it's important. And I do think it is uh, your responsibility to share that knowledge in a manner where people are going to listen in a pragmatic way. Otherwise, you're not, you know, if you're just going to go in there and, you know, slam people over the head and, and, you know, insult them because how dare they do something that they don't know was wrong to begin with, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be sure. effective. Um, how, how do we engage on that though? Like when people come in and, and like, oh, I, I just, you know, found some points like on that field right over there and, or something like that. Um, how do we work with that? I think you have to, the best way to do it is like talk to them first about what, what it is they found. So, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like uh, sending, you know, giving feedback, um, how, they, how they teach you how to give feedback these days, which, Chris, you'll probably have to bleep this out, but it's referred to as the, the shit sandwich. So you start with something nice, the bad stuff's in the middle, and then you end with something uh, bad. So a good way to handle that is like, oh, this is really cool. You know, this is this sort of point, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is from this group. Did you know that they inhabited this area for 2,000 years and um, you can still find descendant communities here? You, gotta, you know, you can just keep going. And then you could say, um, by the way, though, uh, you probably aren't aware of this, but picking up artifacts like that is actually illegal. And then you discuss the laws and then you end with something like, but you did the exact right thing. You know, you found something and you've come and you've contacted an archaeologist and that's that's the advice we give out to everyone. So you've actually done a good job. And so, you know, you need to you need to get the point across that it is illegal, but you don't want to like be confrontational. I think the thing to do is, yeah, you start with the positives of what they found. You bring in, you know, actually in the future, you know, just be aware that this is the issues. Um, and then you end with, you know, another positive thing to say. So um, that's sort of the general way I guess people are, are being taught how to provide critical feedback to people. I think that tends to work fairly well. Uh, so based in Scotland, I run into the same issue a lot with basically everything that's under – anything that's buried that's under six inches of the ground belongs to the crown – um, and then anything that's found. So anything that is portable, that is basically not, you know, that is, is historic. And there's like some minor exceptions for like, obviously, if you find lo lost money that's still in circulation, it doesn't count. Um, and like, you know, if you find someone's scarf on the ground, you know, you turn it in, but it's not the archaeological laws don't apply. But in that sense, we get run into that, but we get a lot of people who have no idea about that. And so we're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's an interesting object. Um, we think it might be this, but actually what, who you should contact is treasure trove because that's the people who deal with that. And, you know, uh, there's some laws that are applicable, but the right thing to do is contact them. And then you've met the uh, letter of the law 
and they'll be able to tell you more as well. And I hope you find out more about the object. And so that's how we usually handle it. Um, and I don't think we've had anyone, you know, tell us off to our face with that approach. Um, I'm not saying it's the best approach, but it's one that's worked. Yeah. I mean, that I, in my experience, I usually play it by the situation, the context and what's going on. Right. So if I'm at a place where it's a non-confrontational situation and someone remarks about how they picked up ceramics or arrowheads or something like that, then I will remind them, you know, well, if you were on uh, private property, then you're more likely that's, you know, probably okay as long as you were trespassing, but you really shouldn't do it on state or local uh, or federal lands because there's several different laws that are against it. And then they, a lot of times will say something like, oh, well, I never knew about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just try not to do it. If I'm in a situation where there's someone who's given me pushback, which constantly happens, well, maybe not constantly, but it's, it's, there's a certain kind of individual that it's just difficult to tell them anything. And so to, you know, say, yeah, that's right. I have a PhD in this and I did it for a decade, uh, 40 hours a week when you went hiking for 20 minutes one day and found an arrowhead. Don't do that on the state park's land because it is against the law. And then they'll pull out some magical clause that aliens gave them the, the permission to do it. And then I always just keep saying, no, it's illegal. It just, it's illegal. It is illegal. And I'll just keep, you know, pushing that point. And, you know, depending on the individual, a lot of times they'll recognize that, oh, I shouldn't do that. Or they'll just keep pushing it into an uncomfortable place where I just stop engaging. They, they got the point that an archaeologist who's a professional that does this for a living told them it's against the law. And then if they actually spend any time looking it up on their phone, um, they'll see that it is illegal in many conditions. And then it's up to them. It's just like speeding or any of these other kind of laws that don't immediately threaten life. A lot of people feel like they can do these things and get away with it. And then eventually something happens. So we hope that nothing happens and we hope that they'll just stop before something does happen. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's end the segment right there and uh, we'll pick this back up after the uh, next break. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our tea public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast. For segment three, we were just talking about interactions with uh, collectors and, and how to deal with that. I, I think uh, from here we, we might want to continue on talking about like how we advocate um, the collectors community. And, and one thing I was thinking about while we were talking about all this is the uh, kind, kind of a public archaeology angle. And, and uh, I know a lot of uh, archaeological organizations and groups uh, work with the public by actually having uh, what they call archaeology road road shows, um, where people can bring in the artifacts that they collect and. And, and, you know, we talk about where they're, you know, what they are and um, that sort of thing. And I think they might be more common. I hope they might be more common in places where there's a lot of private land and uh, people are farmers and, and, you know, there's just the collection that their grandfather had back when, you know, the they were plowing by hand or, you know, not way up in the air conditioned cab. So they, you know, just see them and pick them up and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they're just curious what these things are. And, and, uh, so there's a lot of times you will see, uh, interaction with, 
uh, the collecting public along these lines. So I thought I'd bring that up as you know one of the ways that we sometimes advocate with that particular community. Um, and I kind of wanted to float it past everybody here and, and see what you thought and how you know. Do, do you think that works very well or, or not? Um, I I, I want to just kind of admit that you know public archaeology is really not one of my specialties. So. Um, you know, like I'm all ears, uh, you know, does, does this work? I, I do quite a bit of, um, presentations at elementary schools and high schools. And, um, you know, I do find that they're very effective. And of course, you know, there's a lot of surprised faces among the adults that are there. And, and, um, I have some friends, you know, the state parks in this area, state archaeologists do have, you know, especially during archaeology month in October, you know, they'll have presentations, archaeology day where people can come and, and learn and touch and feel artifacts and really get a an understanding of the fact that these are not people that don't exist anymore. There are descendants from these people. The artifacts belong or belonged to people that uh, their descendants are around and, and that the cultures are, are thriving and, and still existent. And that is definitely, it's hard, you know, we get, we're entrenched in this. And so it just seems like a foregone conclusion that that's the case. And we don't realize the majority of the public doesn't know that. They, In fact, they don't even, even in California here where we have, you know, uh, casinos that people go to all the time, the Shumash Casino, uh, Morongo, I mean, they, they go to these casinos and they still don't put two and two together that what they're you know, picking up on the ground or they're digging on their own private land is connected to these people that are, have a vibrant and, and current community. And I think that these archaeology days and presentations certainly help my approach along with the other excellent ideas that uh, Doug and Bill and Steve have brought up is when people come to me, I not only talk about, I will talk about the law, my actual first subject is to talk about them understanding, number one, that there are descendants of these people and that there is a community that are, you know, working very hard to continue and to understand their own um, history and to perpetuate that with their next generation. But then um, also for them to understand why it's not good to pick it up, why it's not good to take it out of its context and the concept of provenience. And, and so, you know, the, for some people understanding it's illegal, stop somebody right away for others people. If almost like they hear it's illegal and they think either it doesn't apply to them or it's actually more attractive now because <laughs> it's something they're not supposed to do. It's just the diff- the nature of people and different types of people. So I think um, having a lot of ideas in your toolbox, in your communication toolbox, and using that concept of provenience is also important. It doesn't take long to explain it. And I've definitely, I think, gotten the most positive reaction when I explain to them why removing it, picking it up from it con- and removing it from its context is is uh, something that damages um, in so many different aspects. I think the the bigger question is what do we tell folks who's, you know, this stuff actually they believe is part of their heritage. So as a historical archaeologist, there's either 
indifference to historical sites a lot of times because they'll just tell this story oh my great-grandfather already told me all about Mm -hmm. this and you know i don't really need to know anything more about the 1890s right but then there's also this whole group of individuals who you know because a lot of these sites are on private property they just dig up historical material i mean they go along riverbanks and dig out bottles and they go to uh use the um Sandborn maps to go to houses and ask the property owner if they can just dig out a privy out of the back. And so in that I've, uh, and so, you know, for the excellent explanation of this is someone else's heritage and we shouldn't really be digging it out. Um, that meets up with a group of individuals who talk to the current property owner uh, and then say, well, no, they said it's all right. And this is just, you know, old, bottles that I can sell on eBay and, you know, they're part of my collection. Plus I, I really love discovering bottles and, you know, there's no law against it. So that's, that's where it gets kind of more difficult because I find myself at kind of a loss for words of, you know, well, it is your town. And if you want to destroy your own town, that's okay. If this person doesn't actually, in fact, understand the value of the archeological site, I guess, you know, later on when they do develop that into a building or something like that, the developer will be overjoyed to find out that someone already looted this site in, you know, uh, 2020 and that we don't have to spend any money on it and all the information that we lost. I mean, I guess I, I always find myself at a loss for words when, when people don't seem to really care about historical sites and just, well, it's not illegal, so I'm just going to do it anyway. I wonder if we'll ever get a, get to a place where we can actually explain the value of those sites. Yeah, well, and thinking about something Heather was saying earlier, you know, she was using like PETA as the example. And I feel like, you know, there, there are quite a few people out there who do things deliberately to piss PETA off. And and there will always be that much pushback against, you know, like, well, it's not illegal. So who cares what you think? You know, like, like you know, who are you to tell me what to do sort of thing, right? And, and even if it is legal, um, depending on, you know, the context, like, you know, some, some people are pointedly, you know, like that, that's more of a dare than, uh, you know, a deterrent. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, my house is not old enough to have any historical features associated, but I can tell you one thing, if I'm still owning this thing, you know, 80 or 90 years from now, no, you can't come and dig my backyard up. No, I don't care. You know, I just don't care because, you know, I feel like I should protect this thing. But, and and there are a lot of other people who are interested in archaeologists doing things like field schools or, um, you know, turning their property over to the archaeological conservancy rather than just letting it go down because they know that they have uh, either pioneer features or slave cabins or whatnot. I mean, there are some property owners out there that are like that, but it always seems to me, if you look at the internet, there's a much larger universe of individuals who feel like it's okay to dig up historical sites. There's the the issue of whether uh, something is legal and whether something is ethical. And so I know a lot of people have, um, a lot of the discussion has been about the legality of these different aspects. But I also think it's, it's worth talking to people about the ethical implications and why it is we do what we do and why taking artifacts can harm that and change stuff. Um, and to be honest, I don't think we're ever going to get like a hundred percent of people on board. There are some people who just don't care about what archeology span does. Like they don't care about learning 
about past people and understanding sort of a, a long-term data set of humanity, they actually just care about something being pretty or something being pretty and old. And that just comes down to ethical, moral, or just, you know, personal preferences on what one values. And I don't think we're always going to get everyone to value the same thing in the same way. But I do also feel like I, I really do hate the pushback where to like, yeah, in some cases we have a really solid, it is illegal, but in some cases it's not. But even then I feel like we should have a duty to be like, well, ethically, this is what, what you should do. You know, I can't make you do that. I can't get someone else like, you know, the police to make you do that. But you may want to consider that this is the ethical thing to do and maybe try it out. But it's probably also something that, you know, some people are definitely stuck in their ways and it takes a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations to change someone's mind. So, yeah, I don't think there's exactly an easy way to do this, but sorry, Heather, you had a comment? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, um, you know, what you're saying exactly is, you know, just finding different ways to explain it. And sometimes maybe finding if if the person is willing to still stand there, they're still, still standing in front of you after five minutes of talking to them and they still don't get it, but they're still standing there and listening to you. Perhaps they're willing to get it. So maybe trying something that's more relatable to them. Recently, they just found um, dog tags from an area in the data back to World War II, I think it was, or maybe it was World War One, and they were recently returned to uh, American families, and that was very, it was, it was uh, very meaningful for the families. They could have gone the rest of their life and not been able to have those dog tags from their great great grandfather, but um, the fact that they had them really meant something to them, meant something a lot more than it meant to the person that actually picked up the dog tag and said, oh, this is cool. This is from like World War One or World War Two, And this would be really cool to have in my collection where that might be cool. But then being able to compare that to the experience of somebody being sent the dog tags and holding them in their hands and knowing, you know what, I've heard stories of my great grandfather and it's now coming real. It's something that's very important. And being able to show them that relatable story might hit home. There's, it just, sometimes you just have to keep trying and not give up on the conversation as long as that person is willing to stand there and listen to you. I guess I find in my experience that talking to children is a little bit easier. <laughs> uh, rather than someone who already has 600 uh, arrowheads, you know, talking to kids about the value of these archaeological sites and what an archaeologist does and why it matters for the future. A lot of times I feel like it's easier to get more headway. And then, you know, I have kids too. So all kinds of things I end up doing because they learn that it's actually the best way for us all to be. So I think maybe that might be the pathway that we can take for a lot of these folks. Yeah, because I mean, the worst is uh, not just even the collectors with 900 uh, arrowheads. It's actually sometimes our fellow archaeologists, um, there's a fair amount of archaeologists. And it's not just like the occasional one. Um, there's quite a few that actually have personal collections of artifacts. 
and it's it's across all generations. I've I've met quite a few, and they. It's interesting because actually, in you know, most schools, um, when we're teaching archaeology, we actually don't teach ethics, which I think hurts us because when you try to explain why something is damaging and you don't know why, it usually just turns to it's against the law, don't do it. But why is it against the law? It's just against the law, don't do it. And that's not a good way to engage and teach people. But I do find, cause yeah, there's so many archaeologists who are just like, oh, well, they have the same ideas. Like, well, you know, the laws are wrong, blah, blah, blah. I should be able to have my collection of artifacts. I'm an archaeologist. I, I will appreciate it more than the next person. Um, or I just really like it or something like that. And we actually aren't even reaching many of many of our fellow professionals who do collect. I, I mean, I agree with Bill. It's, it's easier to go for uh, go with children, but I, I think there should be actually a big conversation that happens in the archaeology community about archaeologists that collect. Because yeah, that's a that's a huge minefield and one I don't think we've ever really addressed. And I, I mean, like we as in the whole profession, I I'm not aware of any sort of big push to have archaeologists talk about their collections and the morality of collecting. But I could be wrong. I mean, do you guys know of any time that's happened? Well, I when I was in grad school. In grad school, I had an ethics class, and this was definitely discussed, but it could just be because that was a passion for the professor. So, you know, it's sad to hear. I assume that that was the case in most in, in most uh, class, in most schools, although that was in grad school. I didn't get that in undergrad. So, you know, to me, I, I just, it's un. It's, it always surprises me if I do hear that. I don't hear it very often, the people collect, but when I hear it, it is shocking to me because I just don't understand how you can think that that concept of, of collecting somebody else's heritage doesn't apply to you when you're telling somebody who's you know walking along the street that they, that they found something on their property and, and you'd say that that's wrong. I mean, how, how is it okay for an archaeologist to do that? I've had clients that we've been on private property and they have told me I have all these things in my home and I actually have had successful conversations with them where they have ended up contacting the local tribe and saying you know what would you like to have this and turning over because they just don't know and I really do believe that a majority of people that collect and the damage is caused is not by, although it could be regional, it could be different in different parts of the country. But my personal experience has been a, a lot of the damage that occurs, occurs because somebody finds it on their own private land and then they collect it and they have it in on their shelves and they just don't know. It's ignorance. And then you tell them what's right and wrong and they do the right thing. You know, I, I have seen that over and over again. So, you know, I think to Bill's point is definitely talking to young people because I know when I was growing up, this was my only un understanding of archaeology was uh, Brian Fagan books that I that my grand my father would find in old used bookstores, <laughs> and then Indiana Jones. I just didn't. I never had any archaeological, you know, presentation at my school, but now we do have those, and and so it does behoove people to, that do those presentations to make sure that that these kids understand the importance of the artifacts. And when I bring artifacts 
I the only artifacts that I would ever bring would be if uh, I always bring a if it has to do with prehistory, I always bring a Native American from the local tribe that is interested in in a presentation like this, and they bring their own artifacts. The only things I bring are bones. I'll bring you know bones so the people of animals so that because uh, kids are interested in that. Well, on that note, I think uh, we've uh, run out of time. It's a good topic, and uh, it's one that we revisit from time to time and uh, you know, need to, apparently. It's, it's uh, kind of the ongoing discussion with the, uh, with the public. I was going to make a pithy comment about, please collect responsibly, but uh, I don't think that's going to work. Um, maybe uh, don't collect at all. Um, Unless it's at the second-hand store, which I'm banned okay. from going to. <laughs> or a better one would be if you find something, if you if you see something, say something. There you go. Yeah. Uh, if you see an artifact, say something to an archaeologist. And if you're an archaeologist and you see another archaeologist doing something that's unethical, it behooves you to, to say something in a pragmatic manner so that it's received and effective. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com dot com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question in a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you in the field. See you later. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for not being Doug. (laughs) This is my favorite part of the show. Oh, no, he's eating palindromes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, well, this is the first time in 909 years or 909 episodes he'll be able to do it. Hmm. I got to take advantage of it. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.